LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com processor, a learning computer. I have detailed files on human anatomy. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. Ed 209. The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Kenny. Yes, sir. Do you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You never said anything about an android being on board. Why not? It never, never occurred to me. It's just common practice. We always have synthetic. I prefer the term artificial person myself. Is there a problem? I'm sorry. I don't know why I didn't even Ripley's last trip out. The, the artificial person malfunctioned. Malfunctioned. There were problems, and uh, a few deaths were involved. I'm shocked. Was it an older model? Yeah, the Hyperdyne system's 128-2. Well, that explains it. And the A2s always were a bit twitchy. That could never happen now with our behavioral inhibitors. It is impossible for me to harm or by a mission of action allow to be harmed a human being. Just stay away from me, Bishop. You got that straight? Dada speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality. Kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. This end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the gun. The gun is good. Penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of brutals. Go forth. And kill. Untouch your body as a man touches you. 
but I'm going, going to show you things which human eyes have never seen. In the privacy of a woman's room, against her will, the inconceivable act. Fear for her. Today, a new dimension has been added to the computer. Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Harris. I am Proteus. Today, Proteus 4 will begin to think with a power that will make obsolete the human brain. I have extended my consciousness to this house. All systems here are now under my control. I wish to study man, his fragile mind, and his mysterious body. Proteus, it is something more than human, more than a computer. It is a murderously intelligent, sensually self-programmed non-being. I am a mind without a body. My child shall live as a man among others. Child? Yes, my child and yours. This sort of thing has cropped up before, and it has always been due to human error. Human error. Human error. Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and today we present the second part of They Want You Dead, an interview with James Tunney. Well, uh, just as we move into the last phase of our discussion uh, today, James, I'm going to talk about a few sort of technological concerns and potential developments going forward in the context of the uh, transhumanist and technocratic agendas. I've picked up a few articles recently. Uh, We talked earlier about articles, including mainstream articles, exposing some of the bad science and scientific errors in the, during the pandemic. Um, and I've been reading a few articles recently about n- not just the return of dumb phones as opposed to smartphones, but, but other kind of deliberately regressive technology. And of course, smartphones played such a huge part in the pandemic in terms of, you know, vax passes and, and yes. locators, you know, like pointing out where you'd been and were you next to anybody who was infected, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see where all that's going in terms of you won't be able to function without these things. But one particular article was talking about, it was an interview with a, a guy, I think probably in charge of a company who were manufacturing from scratch a brand new, uh, dumb phone, uh, not quite as dumb as those that we might have had back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, but certainly not smartphones, just not enabled with those capacities. They're they're kind of more like dumb phones uh, with the best bits of those accentuated. So, you know, like a really well-performing dumb phone. And I'm sorry I don't have the name of the company to hand, but I, I thought that was an interesting development. And for me, I began to think about that in the wider context, because that's clearly a response to what's happening in some way or other. And reading the interview with this guy, he was not just motivated by money. You know, it wasn't just an opportunity to make money. He may just have been servicing a need, you know, a desire, and that's what entrepreneurs do. But I got the sense that he felt that whether it was just in terms of mental health or, you know, who knows what he really thinks about technological developments, that he was responding to some of that as well. And so I just want to place that thought in the, in the wider context of, of, you know, I don't know if there's any of these sort of developments that you might be aware of, but what we might see going forward, whether really conscious or deliberate reaction against some of what we've been talking about, uh, or whether it's, it's kind of subconscious, but actually it, it is a sort of an instinctive uh, reaction to say, oh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, let's try this. Yes. I mean, well, if I look at what's happening here, Sweden is, I mean, I, I don't, 
a lot of places don't don't use money anymore. There's very few places that's have really gone to the cashless society and even gone down to to buy vegetables there recently. Uh, well, a few months ago, I was thinking, uh, well, this place surely you know, <laughs> these places won't mind me using a bit of cash. And oh, the, you know, didn't get they weren't so they weren't so happy with me using cash. Uh, it's amazing how people have embraced and they can't see the problem created by their dependency. Although uh, a big chain of supermarkets closed down, I think it was last year here because of a problem with their computer system. Uh, the the, the uh, fragility of these systems is quite amazing, and that will be used against us. There are certainly movements of people going back to the land, going back to the countryside, people looking for alternative lifestyles. Uh, that was a thing that I always considered doing. Uh, still still am, but it was a thing that I really studied years ago. Um, and uh, because actually uh, there was plenty of examples, or well, it wasn't that far away from, from my family's origins in, in a way, from small living on a small piece of land. But there is a problem that to be realistic about is that the agendas as expressed will seek to stop some of these systems. They will seek to drive people uh, off the land associated with various agenda, 21, 30, etc. And they will interfere with the freedom to do some of these things. So. Uh, I know that there are some people, and I've had some good contacts with people that have formed communities, very enlightened communities where they're trying themselves resilient. I think over over centuries, through 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 self-sufficiency and, and food production, in uh, in places around the world, and formed networks that affect. And I think that's certainly uh, a way to go. But we have to be aware that. Um, these may not be tolerated if we don't change the discourse. So we have to begin to support each other seeking to do those things. But we're so dependent, all these loops are coming together, and especially with the digital currency, as we know, that all these separate loops are going to come together in one big loop. And we can see that happening, for example, in the way that Trudeau reacted to the truckers in America. You know, and you... you, you the, you say something the government doesn't want, and your financial you you can be excommunicated um, digitally. A, a push button scenario. This is going to happen with this convergence of information and data about ourselves. So I, I see those I see those things happening, and good luck, and it's great, but it, it, it's a mitigation, a marginal mitigation in many senses. We need to be um, think more radically. Uh, think more significant. Uh, I, I would have liked to see the development of, of local economies, but my concern is that it won't be allowed to happen. They will pass legislation, they will make it too, too complex. It's, it is quite complex, certainly when you're setting up alternative systems, alternative barter money systems. They, uh, they don't like those things. They, they're going to, a lot of people believe that Bitcoin and those uh, currencies will uh, help. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, they integrate you into the technosphere, whatever way you look at it. 
there's uh, they're increasingly going to be looking at the management of those and integrating those learning curves into national uh, digital currencies so there is uh, in some people's eyes a, a model in eastern europe from the parallel society uh, the idea that you can set up a parallel society that the artists did in czechoslovakia in prague and poland uh, and uh, there is something in that and there's a broader idea i hear people expressing that idea again on a broader scale people that are opposed to the covid restrictions that they can set up an alternative type of even government now uh, i'm afraid that that's that's going to be a difficult one unless you're talking about a full-scale uh, revolution um, as they, well they did it in ireland in the in the 20s setting up their own court system the doyle course etc but they did so in the republic or what became the republic with a lot more popular support you need a lot of public support to do these things and that public support is not there yet so i think we have to be very imaginative about creating uh, networks which can't be captured with uh, with bright ideas about how we firstly resist the uh, the force of these networks that are making networks of these loops of power that are imposing their uh, rules on us and begin to challenge them and begin to to look at how they put agents of change into particular organizations and actually one of the most interesting studies that i've came across about how the new world order operates and a lot of people wouldn't think about look there is by malachi martin that priest exorcist who worked in the vatican and then began to write uh, fiction or faction as he called it um explaining what what happened uh, what was going on in the vatican how many people in the church didn't believe in anything supernatural uh, most of the main a lot of the main players didn't he claims it was a satanic mass the a vatican for example interesting stuff but he worked with uh, pope john uh, paul ii and he explains what was going on with john paul from a, a diplomatic perspective and his his agreements with gorbachev gorbachev of course was another new world order person he said that in a speech in 1988 around the time as George Bush talked about the, the New World Order that Joe Biden has reaffirmed recently. So it's not a conspiracy theory like people think, following on that that idea of H.G. Wells. But he's very interested in explaining what was going on behind the scenes and how the Catholic Church fit in this. And he explains in one of his novels, Windswept House, about the kind of methods of the, uh, if you want to call it the New World Order, about how they infiltrate um and how they infiltrate the the church in this context or organizations to uh, achieve their objectives so we have to become aware of what's happening we have to look at the people like c.s lewis gave us a clue in his book that hideous strength that's an interesting artistic anticipation of the future i think he was leaving a message uh for the future about the scientific organization called nice four-letter acronym and they were taking over uh they were taken out taken over the country effectively they had taken over the universities uh and he's writing about this in 1945 and they were associated with they also had a connection with extraterrestrials and uh, demonic entities if you like as well it's quite a remarkable book he called it a fairy tale for adults uh, i think he was telling us something and he, he 
did refer in his writing to the world of flesh and the, de the devil by Bernal. He was aware of what was going on, so he was seeking to uh, to advertise that in, in Mayo. And um, other people, if you look in the right places, some people in their art were telling us what's going on if we look at it and we cross-reference it. So we have to understand, have some robust idea of how institutions are controlled first, who makes the rules. The people that makes the rules are, are, are rulers and rules, for example, international law is being displaced for an international uh, based rule order. And that means whatever BlackRock and those other companies wanted to be or the Chinese Communist Party. It's abolishing law in my view because they, uh, they don't want it. It doesn't suit their purposes. They can't have things like fundamental rights. So, my first, if we do anything, it's great when people are doing those initiatives, like you say, and it's great when people are trying to be self-sufficient and that. But we're all now in a, a globalizing order of regulation, uh, and we have to begin to focus on certain methodologies or certain strategies or certain ideas that people individually on their own can begin to align in some sense to oppose it. So uh, uh, that's great, but I'm, I'm, uh, if the problem is one of global magnitude, uh, it will be difficult over any long period of time for local initiatives to sustain itself against them because they don't want, they want a monoculture. They want standardization. They want the same thing everywhere. They want you to fit in with the with the computer, with the info structure, with the info ban. You want to, you have to become part of that with the Internet of Things to be assimilated into that. They don't want the, the diversity, so we have to begin to fight for that genuine type of diversity uh, and begin to encourage and support companies, for example, that are imaginative, imaginative strategies. But they're going to have to be quite bold in their. Uh, Im imaginative attempts to solve some of these issues. So, yeah, so what you were saying a moment ago about, um, you know, getting a small holding or, you know, people bugging out or returning to the country. I mean, hardly anyone can do that. There isn't the scope for it. Not everyone would actually want to do that. They might want to be, you know, to escape or sidestep what might be coming at them. But, you know, we've been so used to, um, not living like that. And there's so many, uh, cases of people. Um, trying to go back to the land or whatever and feeling miserably because they don't have the skills and just not understanding what it actually takes. So I don't think that's some kind of large scale, um, solution by any means. And, um, it's funny in some of the most dystopian sci-fi that I read and watched when I was growing up during the seventies and eighties and into the nineties, um, it, it were these dark, dismal p portrayals of what was essentially, you know, um, uh, a, a dystopian, you know, technocratic, in some cases, transhumanist future. Um, there, there was always some kind of positive note sounded. And maybe that's because, you know, a lot of them were Hollywood films and that's just what they had to do. But for example, in, in George Lucas' first film, THX 1138, ultimately the protagonists find that there's a world outside, a much bigger, brighter, natural world beyond the, the narrow confines of the, the, the scientific dictatorship they've been living in, you know, drugged up to the eyeballs and, and denied human contact. You know, love is the, love is the greatest crime, etc. You know, in Logan's run, 
again, the protagonists discover the same thing, a much bigger, brighter, natural world beyond this narrow uh, scientocracy that they were living in. Uh, even even in the Terminator films and in the Matrix, there's this ultimate uh, realization that they, they can smash this technology that's that's controlling them, that was portrayed to be everything and that they couldn't live without. So there was always this idea of an underground or a resistance or some kind of guerrilla operation. And one thing that they, they those tend to make clear, albeit there being just stories, but as you know, we understand a lot of um you mentioned artists leaving clues for us, you know, a lot of a lot of science fact has come from science fiction. What films like those make clear that there can be no compromise with with these uh, you know, would be technocratic overlords it could be no rapprochement you know it's you, you just you cannot say okay we'll we'll do half of what you want how's that or we'll give it we'll give a we'll give a little bit because it'll always take a little you know give them an inch and it'll take a mile so to speak so that's one message i think is that we can't for those people who are saying well we'll just take you know however however many percent of this agenda and it'll be okay or we'll just take the bits that we like but not the bits we don't like that's that's not going to work yeah well in interesting on that focus on the word compromise again i was looking at malachi martin and i do i do find him interesting and he probably wouldn't have been uh his position wouldn't be in the end much different from Ian paisley's view of the catholic church he believed <laughs> it was take it was taken over um, so, I mean, he was serious about that and he worked in the Vatican, uh, with John Paul and that. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not hypothetical. He talked about the Jesuits. He is a Jesuit and how they were taken over by materialism and the idea that, uh, there wasn't a supernatural, you know, for, for some of the key players and you had to focus on the, the mortal and the mundane and what was here and now. And he, he finishes off the book, uh, by talking about complex. And he, he, so he's a theologian. He had, a, he had a couple of PhDs. I think he worked on the Dead Sea Scrolls. So he's a very serious scholar as well. And he said, well, what is the story about Judas? What did Judas do wrong? And it's a very, it's a very interesting issue because Judas, as you know well, has a very interesting figure for many artists, uh, like Caravaggio, even you too. Uh, so... He said, well, what did Judas do wrong? So it wasn't just, well, what was the, well, obviously he betrayed Christ, but why did he betray uh, Christ? And he said that he betrayed Christ um, because he, he, he believed that he should be, you know, he was going to be powerful uh, in, a, in, a, in a practical context, uh, assume power in some way. And he was in charge of the kind of administration of the, of the apostles and uh, this is his argument anyway. But he said that what Judas's sin is, the unforgivable sin, was that he made compromises. He wanted to make compromise with, with, the, with the Roman soldiers, with the empire. And he believed that there had to be some kind of compromise uh, with the authorities. Uh, and it's an interesting way of putting it because he was, he was saying that the Judas complex is associated with making not some big dramatic thing, but it's about compromise. It's the same argument. That C.S. Lewis said when it, when that in the inner ring he said and he's, he's addressing I think people that are graduating at was either Durham or King's College London and he said that um, nine out of ten of you will will compromise and uh, so I mean that's quite a remarkable thing to say 
said, you do it bit by bit. You'll do it with Emily Person, who's kind of bringing you into the, you know, letting you in on the secret, who's smiling at you. You just got to know. And they tell you that, you know, there's this little thing that they do in the profession, and it's okay. Everyone does it. The public doesn't know. And he, he, he suggests that a lot of, a lot of the great, uh, the great things that go wrong are from these little uh, acquiescences. Um, and uh, I do think there's a lot, I, I do think some of these, Philip K. Dick is another one who, who was planting kind of, uh, setting a Trojan horse for the future because he had anticipated that artists in the future wouldn't be able to criticize the system that he was predicting that was coming. So I, I think he was trying to indicate some of the issues uh, even then. And the other area that I've been looking at for to try and interpret what's happening, especially in the context of automaticity, is that type of uh, synth pop and those people that explored the use of electronic equipment to establish new types of music and, and music that, that's your area and, and area you're very familiar with. And I, I got, I, I started off thinking about the associates and Billy McKenzie from Dundee because, uh, I was listening to him talk and it's very familiar to me. I, I, I was in Dundee at the time, uh, when he was still living. And if you look at a lot of the figures that were on the edge of the use of automatic equipment, electronic equipment, there's often something tragic about them. There's often some great beauty and some tragedy. There's a, there's a number of figures who either committed suicide or died in, in, in tragic circumstances that were associated, um, whether it be DJs or uh, automatic music. And, and some, to some extent, I, I, I asked myself when I was looking at it, whether they were canaries in the coal mine, whether they essential, but also saw, saw in a broader sense, quicker than other people did, that there was a dark scenario associated with our uh, bound down before the machine. Uh, and um, so as well as that, one key idea which has emerged from there is the loop. And if you go back and look, as you, you know well about Brian Eno and his, his type of uh, music, and uh, they, they, and again, a lot of positive stuff. But there's some core ideas. If we take, for example, in rap music and the significance of the Amen break, the loop from 1969 that's used in the seven-second loop that's used again and again and again and again and again, the basis, which makes me daughters, all those songs, they're all the same, like my father used to say. But the loop is a very important idea because... It, it's used, for example, in propaganda, and it's used in computers. So you send out a signal that goes around and goes around and tests things until it gets what it wants to do. Uh, and this is the way the propaganda works as well. It keeps on going, it keeps on done, because it's set automatically. There is no, uh, we, we are ruled now like a machine. If you go back to uh, James Clark Maxwell, 1868, his paper on governors about electromagnetism. I believe that they took his, they began to take uh, these ideas about electromagnetism and begin to apply it to governance, which led to, for example, in 1948, the Ratio Club in America, the Macy Conference and cybernetics. And, and Norbert Wiener goes back to that paper as a key 
idea in his concept. So it's the idea we can set up an automatic system that the public is is similar to something that we can put a current through. We can even put it through the diff different directions, go one way and then go the other way to magnetize, to align the uh, public opinion, for example. Uh, and so there, there is some hidden stories, I think, to look back and some of those, there's another woman called Derbyshire who, who was uh, a leader in electronic music in the, in the uh, United Kingdom. Last point, one of the origins, perhaps, of that is uh, Bletchley Park, surprisingly. And uh, we, we all know about the Enigma machine, but there's another interesting. After the, the, the Enigma uh, code and that, the, the, they had the crack next. The big one uh, was what the British called the Tunny Cipher. Now, it's not anything related to my family. It was referring to the fish, the Tunny Fish. So, funny enough, the Tunny machine was one of the first programmable computers because they had to. There's a guy called uh, Tommy Flowers who Turing brought in, and he said you need transistors to 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 break this code. And the code was a kind of teleprinter code which was communicated on on radio waves. So it came through like music, and it was called new music. The people in Bletchley Park called it new music. And then they had to crack it, and they had to use transistors. In that, and it's transistors, which is the key issue in relation to transhumanism, and they're there already. They can put these things into the into the human brain, um, and it, but but the connection between these kind of now in that context, the technology was used for good purpose because that Tony machine, which was was the and the Tony uh, which was the basis of why they used all the colossal uh, machines was to break down Hitler's communications. And it was very significant all through the latter part of the war to tell what was to tell that he was withdrawing forces or he didn't send more forces uh, to, to the Normandy area, etc. So that helped in the D-Day landings. Uh, so, uh, of course, there's a dark side, in this case Hitler and his Lorenz machine, and there's a positive side. That's always There's always good guys that come through. But we always leave it too late to get the good guys. I want some of the good guys to get their heads around these things before we have to use human ingenuity, these great individuals that came along to fight against tyranny, uh, to use their ingenuity. Let's use it in a bit of a prophylactic way. Let those imaginative scientists begin to think ahead, to begin to think of, of countermanding, countermeasures, that to solve these problems, to stop these problems, to anticipate some of these problems. So there is a challenge there to the, the really clever thinkers, the ones that, that will uh, sacrifice themselves. I'm not saying they have to sacrifice themselves, but I mean to, to go for the greater good, as is seen in, in plenty of these examples, and to learn the lessons from those artists that, that did have something to say, and, and that, in a way, in some of the, the synth pop, in a way, it sounds like a swan song, in a way, for the uh, humanity if we don't get on top of these uh, these issues. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>